Well, good morning. So nice to see you all. We are starting a new series today. We just finished up Ephesians and we're going to head back to Matthew. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, I will not have these words on the screen because we want you to get familiar with your own Bibles, whether that be a Bible app on your phone or a paper one. We do have some kind of scattered throughout the seats, so feel free to take one if you don't have one of your own. It's our gift to you. Um, We believe God's word brings freedom and healing. And so we want you to be familiar with it. Matthew chapter 3. So when I started here back in June, we started with a series on prayer where we were praying, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and we looked at the Lord's Prayer for a while to teach us how to better pray. And then we went to Ephesians because Ephesians is like the constitution of the church, of who we are as a church and what we're supposed to be about. And so we studied Ephesians to learn how we can better be the body of Christ. And then Stephen preached. I don't know if he's here today. I'm not seeing him. But um, on Philippians 2, how we are to imitate the character and the attitude of Jesus, who left heaven and humbled himself and became a servant for us. And so I was praying about, God, where do we go from here? I just thought, if we're to be the body of Christ, we need to spend some time studying Christ. And how he lived and what he taught. And so that's what, where we're headed. We're going to be studying the person of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew to see how we can learn from him. And each month we're going to have a prayer for that month, all right? And so here's our prayer for the month of November. Lord, let us desire what you desire. Just that simple little sentence, I'm going to ask you to pray that every day. So some of you I see are already grabbing your phones, which is awesome. Um, So grab your phone, make yourself a reminder. There's also little notepads. You can write yourself a post-it note to stick it on a bathroom mirror. I found my steering wheel is the one place where I will never forget it. If I tape it right there. Yeah. My steering wheel. The prayer. Oh! All right. Lord. Lord, let us desire what you desire. That's the prayer for this month, okay? Lord, let us desire what you desire. So go ahead and make yourself a reminder. And then I do want you to write it down again on one of these little pieces of paper. They're kind of scattered around right here. Um, And at the end of the service, we're going to do something with your second copy, okay? Something special. So make sure you have a second copy of it written down on paper. Um, But that's our prayer for today, or for this month. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3, which starts with John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin. And Matthew 3... Is basically Jesus and John are full grown now. It's after the Christmas story and they're just starting their ministries. And that's where Matthew 3 picks up. All right. So Matthew 3 verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. You'll see in your Bibles that last verse is in quotes, and there's a little footnote. And if you follow the footnote, it will tell you that's a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. If you want to understand the ministry of John and what he's talking about, what is this kingdom of heaven that's coming, you really need to understand the ministry of Isaiah. Because it was Isaiah who prophesied about these things. 700 years before John. And John had read Isaiah's prophecies and now he's preaching about them. So I, I'm going to head over to Isaiah and I will have this on the screen for you. Um, and we're just going to read just a little bit about what Isaiah prophesied, how he described this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of righteousness. Um, what did that look like? Isaiah wrote, the fruit of that righteousness, the fruit of the righteousness of this kingdom, will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will dwell, will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Can you just kind of imagine what this is like? Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely in other places, my people, you will be blessed, sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. That last line kind of reminds me of Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they're just going to plant seeds along streams, which... The ground is soft there. You don't have to dig it up. You know, you just kind of go down and boop, boop. You know, it's it's simple and they don't have to water, right? Because it's along streams. And, and meanwhile, their pets can just roam. For me, it would be my little children, you know. <laughs> but think of those days where you could just like send your kids out and they could go play and be home by dinner time and you don't have to worry about them. It's that kind of simple But peaceful life, Isaiah said, would be in the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of heaven. Um, Another passage that he wrote from Isaiah 35. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but they only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That last line really hit me. Sorrow and sighing. How often do you sigh? You know, just from like... Like after a long day of work, right? From the stress. In the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of heaven, there will be no more sighing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isaiah also prophesies that there will be a messenger 
who will prepare people to meet the Savior. A Savior will come and he will heal people and serve them and usher them into this kingdom of righteousness where he's going to rule over them and they'll all live peacefully. And John the Baptist believes he's that messenger. And he believes his cousin Jesus is a Savior. I just want to pause for a moment and marvel at the fact that Isaiah lived 700 years before John and Jesus. And yet he prophesied about them. And John and Jesus read his book. To put that into perspective, 700 years before now would be the year 1322. How many of you have read a book written in 1322? There you go. It's not impossible. But in 1322, that's like before our nation, Europe was in the Middle Ages. Like the Crusades had just ended. Um, I mean, that was eons ago. Our world was completely different back then. And it was the same thing for Jesus and John. Like Isaiah's time, there had been five empires that had risen and fallen in Israel between them. That's how much distance was apart. And it's an absolute miracle that God gave Isaiah the foresight and the faith to believe that there would come a messenger and a savior in a kingdom of heaven. So let's continue reading now in Matthew. And as I read this, I just want you to kind of imagine yourself in this scene, okay? It takes place in a rural place far away from the hustle and bustle of the city. There is a river there. It's usually a quiet place. But people have been coming, walking long distances, and crowds are forming, all right? And as I read this, just see who you most identify with. What person, what group of people, all right? John's clothes, I'm picking up in verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I'm just going to pause there. Why the Jordan River? You may remember that from way back in Israel's history, even before Isaiah's time, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God freed them by leading them through the Red Sea. Right? Any of you seen that movie? (laughs) And then they wandered through the wilderness for a little while. And right before they got to the promised land of freedom was the Jordan River. And they had to pass through the Jordan River to enter that new land of freedom. And so for the Jews, the Jordan River represented leaving a life of oppression behind and stepping into a new kingdom of freedom where they would be ruled by God. And now it's centuries later and they're once again oppressed not by the egyptians but by rome and they're very aware that they're oppressed because of their sin 
that when they had first stepped through the Jordan and into the promised land of freedom, that they made a covenant with God that he would rule over them. But they had broken that covenant and they rebelled and they refused to be ruled by God. And so instead that left them vulnerable to be ruled by others. And they were so tired of being oppressed that they were finally ready to get rid of the pet sins that had opened the door to their oppression. That's how sin always works. You know, it always seems like a good idea at the time. But sin ultimately binds us to destructive habits, destructive relationships, and the very sin that we thought was a good idea ultimately oppresses us. And now John the Baptist comes and he says, Friends, it's time. There's hope now. We don't have to keep living under this oppression of our sin and the Roman Empire. The kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the people, they are ready. They are so ready to to not only be done with the oppression, but be done blaming everybody else for it too. And they're confessing their sins. And they're coming and stepping into the Jordan River as a way of saying, I'm done. I'm leaving behind the old way of life. I'm dying to my sins because I want to be raised up into this new kingdom of freedom. The kingdom of heaven. That's the picture of repentance and baptism. Of turning from our old way of life. Because we have hope that God can lead us into a better life. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think to yourselves that you can say, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Why is John yelling at the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well... The Pharisees and Sadducees, they they were the most religious of all the Jews. They knew God's word. The Old Testament of your Bible, they knew that backwards and forwards. They were very religiously devout. They were also a little more wealthy than the average Jew, probably middle to upper middle class. And um, although they hated that their nation was oppressed, they had kind of worked a manageable, somewhat comfortable lifestyle working with the Romans. And they just believed that if everybody else would be as religiously devout as they were, God would bless their nation and restore it. That was their make Israel great again plan. 
we just need everyone to be as spiritual and holy as we are. And God will make our nation great again. And so probably many of them were very glad to see their less than saintly fellow citizens coming and repenting and getting baptized and committing to this new life with God. There were probably many of them that were like, yes, the revival we've been praying for is here. The revival that will make our nation great again. And yet John turns on them. And he says, they need to repent. They need to produce fruit. He says, you think because you have the right beliefs and you're the best educated and and you know the most that you're okay. But your beliefs, your faith without fruit is dead. It's worthless. It's not enough just to know everything about God. And it's not just enough to not sin. You have to produce good fruit. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were too proud to actually evaluate the fruit of their lives. And then Jesus enters the scene John begins speaking about him in verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. The contrast here between Jesus and the Pharisees is striking. The Pharisees who are too proud to really evaluate their lives. And Jesus, who has no sin, the Son of God, and yet is willing to humble himself to be baptized. When Stephen preached on Philippians 2, that says that we should imitate the attitude of Jesus Christ. Who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he left heaven. He left where he was with the Father and the Spirit in perfect peace and harmony and being honored and having, you know, he left all of that. And made himself a servant and became obedient to death on a cross. And because he died for us, God raised him up and exalted him to the highest place. 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what Jesus was stepping into with his baptism. John is preaching, repent, which means turn. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus is like, yes, me. I, w- I want that. Jesus is saying, "I look, I'm turning. I'm turning from the time when I was in heaven, perfect in peace, but separated from humankind. When as God, we were separated from the human beings that we love, that we created in our own image. I am turning from that. And I am entering in. And I am going to die to that. When Jesus goes down into the baptism waters, that represents his death. And he did. When he died on the cross, he put an end to God's separation from his people. And he goes down in the water like he goes down in the grave. And he comes back up knowing God is going to raise him up to a new life where he is no longer separated from his people. Where he's exalted, but he's exalted with us. That is why Jesus is being baptized. The kingdom of heaven is near. God is coming to his people. Think of all that Jesus was willing to leave behind and to die to, to move forward with us. And I just have to search my own heart and wonder, what am I willing to leave behind to move forward with God? Or what do I need to leave behind to move forward with God? I asked you at the beginning to listen to this passage and see who you most identify with. You know, maybe you identify with John the Baptist. I know some of you are very passionate about Jesus And how he brings healing and you're telling people and you're introducing people to Jesus. Maybe you relate to the crowds of people who are coming to be baptized. And you are ready. You are ready to let go of the sin and the things that have oppressed you and be risen to new life in Christ. Maybe you relate most to the Pharisees. I have to admit, like, when we were um, church planning in Mason, I related a lot to John the Baptist. Those years were a lot of bold preaching and introducing people to Jesus and living on not much at all. (laughs) But now, I relate more to the Pharisees. I'm religiously devout, I know God's word, and I'm also relatively comfortable. And I just have to search my heart about what I need to leave behind to move forward with God. (sighs) 
Maybe you relate most to Isaiah. Who so deeply believed that God was going to move in a big way. And he never lived to see it happen. Maybe God is asking you to have faith for future generations. And he's starting to implant in you a vision that he wants you to work toward. And you may not even see what comes of it until you're in heaven. And you see all the people that were touched by it. Or maybe, just maybe you relate the most to Jesus. Where you once had a comfortable life. But now you're in those baptism waters of death. Where life is so hard. And frankly, what you see is scary. And you may feel like you're just under the water, holding your breath, just surviving, waiting, and wondering, when is God going to raise you up? When is he going to pull you up to that new life? And is that new life ever really coming? It is coming. It's coming, but more importantly, Jesus is in the waters with you. He is in the waters with you. I know that God has a good future for each and every one of you. His word promises it. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And I know he has good plans for this church. But I also know that moving forward with God always requires repentance and baptism. It requires this moment of turning and dying to the past. And I don't think any of us truly know for this church what we have to turn and die to to move forward. And so that's why I'm asking you to pray with me this month, every day. Lord, help us desire what you desire. Because it's so much easier to follow God when you actually want to. Like, that's the secret sauce of my relationship with God right there. You know, like, I just have prayed for probably almost 30 years. God, let me desire what you desire. Because there are times, quite frankly, where I thought I was wanting what God wanted, but I was deceiving myself. And there were other times when I was a little more honest with myself and I knew that I didn't want what God wanted. Because what God wanted required this turning and dying to something that I didn't want to let go of. Amen. Some of us have been stuck in the same place spiritually for years. Because moving forward with God requires dying to something that we don't want to let go of. 
If it was easy, you would have done it 10 years ago, right? Yeah, amen. So let us pray. Lord, help us desire what you desire. The praise team is going to come up and lead us in worship. Before they do, I'm going to pray. But then as they're singing, I'm going to ask you to bring your prayers forward. And put them in these bowls here. In Revelation 5.8, it says, In heaven there are bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I love that. And so as a physical act of worship, we're going to come and bring our prayers forward. And let them be collected in bowls for heaven. And also just to show one another how we're going to pray this prayer for for ourselves, but for all of us. Okay? If you have other prayers, write them down, put them in too. Alright? Nobody's going to read these. And you don't have to sign your name to it. But bring that prayer forward. Lord, let us desire what you desire. And any other prayer that God has placed on your heart, okay? Let us pray now. Heavenly Father, I pray and I thank you that you do not abandon us to our own wills and our own desires. I think of your word in Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things who can understand it. And God, so often we get drawn to things that are oppressive to us. And I just pray that you will cleanse us, God. Cleanse us not only of those things that oppress us, but our desire for them. We thank you that you are good. That your intentions toward us have always been good. You create us in your image. To to rule this world, your intentions have always been good towards us. And I thank you that you don't just stay far away in heaven, just shaking your head how big of a mess we've made of this earth. But you have drawn near. And you are drawing closer and closer. And your spirit is within us. Heavenly Father, may we not quench your spirit. Spirit, just move in us. Move in us and cause our desires to align with the heart of God. May we desire what you desire, God. For you are the one who is truly good. And you are the one who is wise and all-knowing. So God, we lay down our own desires and we say align our hearts with yours. In Jesus' name we ask. 
Let us desire what you desire, O God. Amen.